Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. I just want to let you know that tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam are on sale now. The largest Bitcoin conference in Europe will take place from October 12th to 14th. More details can be found at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your Bitcoin Amsterdam tickets today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Welcome to part three of the Michael Saylor and Alex Vetsky interview. Bitcoin is energy. You mentioned before we haven't seen any political wins which I agree with, but we've seen many technological ones. Do you think we've seen any cultural or social sort of wins or revolutions or comeuppances in the last couple of decades? I mean, I guess the progressives could argue that, I mean, there have been a lot of progressive, you know, agenda items that have made good progress over time. Is that more political or cultural? Or do you kind of place them in the same bucket? Yeah, I think they're the same. Interesting. Okay. What makes political and cultural the same in your mind? They're cultural wars, but let's take critical race theory, right? Or something going on in the school system or, or teaching any particular theories in school. The reason they're political is because the government controls the school system and the government control, you know, and so the political unions contribute to the party, which contributes, you know, guidance to the government, the government changes the rules to to spread a certain policy through the schools to the extent that the government has power over over whatever, right? So it becomes cultural in that sense. So it's kind of like top-down cultural enforcement instead of um, bottom-up emergent culture, which is, I mean, naturally how it was. Anyway, that's Look, something- I, I said, Politics matter, right? So there's no doubt. Mm. Like, like politics shut down the nuclear power industry. Politics do matter in a lot of places. Pol- politics resulted in, say, single family homes getting subsidized by the government via Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And that drove down the cost of home mortgages and it drove up the price of homes. And it, it shifted the dynamic and it enriched a lot of people in the uh, real estate industry, right? So politics do matter. I'm not saying they don't matter. What I'm saying is that if you are if you believe that Bitcoin is good for the human race and good for the civilization, you should limit your political engagement to what's good for Bitcoin and not get involved in all the all other the rest political of the fights. Shit. The other political fights make you toxic because half the politicians pick a, take a position, right? And you're going to actually alienate 30, 40% of the politicians and you might need those politicians. There's If we come back to the way a company acts, right? Like let's take the Disney Corporation. No, you know, the Disney challenges they've got in Florida of late with Disney World, they got political. Companies shouldn't be political. They shouldn't express political True. preferences this way or that. You're, you know, the, you're, remember the old phrase, shut up and sing? You know, you, you, if you're a singer, you want everybody in the audience to love you for your song. As soon as you start to express a political opinion, whether it's right or left or whatever it is, then there's going to be someone in the audience that's going to take offense and you've just diminished your ability to spread your actual message. So the question is, what are you trying to do? Are you Mm. trying to sing a song or are you trying to actually spread a political message? 
if you were a really good rock and roll singer, I wouldn't say go on stage and say gold sucks, Bitcoin is good. You know, like, right, because your agenda is to entertain the audience, right? So be prof being professional means keeping your personal views out of out, your professional yeah. platform. So I, I just think generally, if you're going to be professional, if you're professionally pursuing the agenda of fixing the energy and the civilization by a Bitcoin, and if you believe that Bitcoin is great technology, which is will be great money, which could be a great currency, which can fix a lot of things, you're better off to just stay professional and cheerfully, constructively cate for Bitcoin. You're going to find people that disagree with you and they hate you or they hate Bitcoin. But like if some when some buddy that's really a critic or a hater on say Twitter, when they say something really offensive, I don't go and directly attack them. That's not going to persuade anybody. Mm -hmm. They have 5 million followers that follow them because they respect what they have to say. So if you attack that person, you alienate their followers. And if you engage in a debate with anybody about any subject other than Bitcoin, you're potentially alienating followers. So, I mean, so in this particular case, the constructive engagement is just, is if you're going to troll somebody is to say, you know, you have that point of view. There are some people that happen to have this point of view, and this is the reason they have this point of view. And here is a place you can go to get more information. Right? Like you, you can turn a conversation 90 degrees like sometimes you think that Bitcoin is bad because you think it's a currency, but did you know it's actually, uh, we think of it as a property, not a currency, right? Someone will say Bitcoin is bad because it's bad for the, because it's a currency and I like the US dollar. And so I don't like Bitcoin. Remember Donald Trump said that once. Mm -hmm, I like the mm -hmm. US dollar. I don't yeah, like yeah. Bitcoin. The response is not, you're not smart enough, right? The response is, don't say, if you were smarter, you wouldn't say that. Don't say that. The response is actually, I understand why you would say that. Other people have, have been led to believe it's a currency because of the phrase cryptocurrency. But in fact, we've come to see that it's actually a property and it's been designated as a property by the IRS. So, so it's a digital gold superior to gold in every way. And if you like gold, you might like Bitcoin a bit better than gold, but it is not a threat to the country or to the currency. Now, that might not persuade the person that was against Bitcoin, but the 500,000 people that read the comment will look at it and maybe 10% of them would be persuaded. And if you flip 10% of 500,000 people, you just got 50,000 new comments by being polite and respectful and constructive mm. and not confrontational, but just engaging. Now, some people won't even let you engage that much, right? I mean, but and you have to judge that. The ideal thing to do, though, is to engage in a technical, constructive fashion to educate, you know, while you empathize. Like, I empathize with you, you want to help the world, and you think that Bitcoin is bad because someone is taking advantage of someone here. But you know, Bitcoin is actually good because of this and this, and this will help the world and help you achieve your mission. If we go out every day and we explain to people how they can achieve their goals in life, with our technology. We won't persuade everybody, but you'll have the least toxic pushback. Do you think 
What's your thoughts about the growing number of people who, for example, have something against property? So, I mean, Mark Moss and I wrote this thing here as a as an answer to kind of the collectivist ideology. And I mean, communism in a phrase obviously was summed up as the abolition of private property. So, so yeah. there seems to be a growing number of people who, you know, want people to own nothing and be happy. I think that the right. I don't think it's that constructive to attack attack powerful entity like attacking the world bank or attacking the imf or attacking the world economic forum don't think it's that constructive because they don't think that they're against anything they think they're trying to help mm. and 40% of the society doesn't think any different so all you're doing is isolating yourself let's take a place where they don't like property cuba they don't like property like uh, it's illegal to own anything North Korea, it's illegal to own anything. They don't like property. Okay, I wouldn't suggest that you fly to North Korea and take out a banner and campaign to try to change the country. They're just going to shoot you, mm -hmm. right? So the point really is if someone is really totally against property, rather than, you know, you want to go campaign for regime change in North Korea? Like, what's that doing for your family, right? Like, how's that helping everybody in America? A better idea is you have 250 million or 350 million people in the United States that believe in property right in front of your face. Why don't you just go introduce Bitcoin to them and get a thousand times more more powerful? Do you think the if you're going to is... go to war with another mm -hmm. country, why don't you go ahead and get a thousand times more powerful before you pick that? Right? Yeah, I think that sentence there sums up the entire position. And it's the other issue is sometimes people are looking to be disagreeable. Like you can, for example, the head of the IMF is actually a pretty intelligent economist. And she said some things that are very positive about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. You could either embrace that and say, look, it looks like she understands what's going on. And you can, you could be, you know, focusing upon convincing the IMF to embrace Bitcoin because it helps them achieve their mission. Or you could just reject every banker everywhere in the world that works for any entity that, you know, there are people that are still mad about what happened on Jekyll Island a hundred years ago, right? But the point is, when you're tweeting, you know, Neil Kashgari's time, you know, time interview from 10 years ago, right, you're just being confrontational. On the other hand, if you just embrace the actors and the institutions today, then you're being you're being cooperative and what we ought to be trying to do is persuade them and win them over as opposed to do you really want to remind someone that they should fight with you and you're their mortal enemy forever if you declare war on someone what that means is they need to declare war back on you so i just i don't see it's constructive to to pick those fights if someone says something you find disagreeable, you can choose to say they're my enemy forever because of a character flaw. Or you can choose to say they said something I find disagreeable because they were misinformed or hadn't focused on the matter and no one has explained to them why they should adopt the opposite point of view. You see, if you take the second view, you're just going to go educate them. And at the very least, you're not going to be toxic. If you take the former view, then you're going to cause them to be 100x more confrontational toward you than they otherwise would be, right? So 
So you're actually kind of undermining your own interest to, to pick those fights. I, I don't think you need to. I think it's okay to say, look, Bitcoin is great for people that like property rights. And uh, let me explain to you why this is aligned with property rights and freedom and technology and integrity. I think that's fine. I think, I think flipping it and saying, no, we're freedom fighters. And so I'm going to go off to the Middle East and I'm going to fight for the freedom rights of, you know, of this faction or that faction. Like now you kind of get, you got the tail wagging the dog or you lost the plot. The goal is not to fight over a hundred other things. The goal is not to write all of the wrongs in the world that you disagree with. It's like angry young man behavior. The goal is to win. And the way you win is focus and don't make enemies. Right? Like it's like, it's easy to make enemies. It feel it feels good by the way, you know, it's like, for example, it's like Elon Musk tweets something and some people want to go and like and attack him this way and that. And then they find out he's going to own Twitter. It's like, oops, <laughs> like, like, like the thing that I find really amusing is people will go in and, and engage in a massive ad hominem attack on an individual where they just disparage their character and everything else because they said something that they disagree, that the person disagreed with. And then they forget it. And three months later, they want to go and engage with that same person or get their help. And, you know, I think, I think what you find is, look, if you look at the blue checks, among the blue checks, 95% of the time, they're very polite to each other. And that's because they have something to lose. They're named and they have a reputation. And it will reflect badly upon them, their constituents and their reputation if they act in a toxic fashion. It, it's, it undermines their institution, their career, their credibility. On the other hand, anonymous actors on Twitter especially the small NIM accounts, they don't stand for an institution and they don't necessarily have that same reputation. They will go and be very toxic. And I can see the benefits of speaking truthfully and putting information on the record. But the issue with the toxicity is, like, if you're toxic to me, Alex, do you know what I do on Twitter when someone's toxic to me? I look for about 100 milliseconds block and never think about them for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Like you literally will get a hundred milliseconds. I don't type, you know, you've been rude. I'm blocking you, right? I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to literally click more than one button. I'm going to block. And when I do, you will never ever, right? Be able to engage in my stream ever again. So I think the blue checks, they know that they're like, if one of them is like, I wouldn't go and be rude to someone with 5 million followers because <laughs> they just block me and I will lose access to all 5 million of their followers forever. Maybe I would like to be able to say something to the, forget about the people. Think about the 5 million people underneath them, right? You need to get to those people. So being polite and constructive means that you stay engaged in the conversation. As soon as you, you go, ju you just slightly tweak it to be ad hominem. You know, the best you can hope for is they mute you, but the more likely thing is they block you. And that same dynamic happens on other platforms and in the real world, which is 
you're just completely out of the conversation. So your goal is to persuade someone. If you're, it's like if, if you're a salesperson, you know this. If you spent 20 years sell, selling to someone, you show up, they have the money, you want to make the sale. So they start by telling you you're stupid and you're ugly and you're poorly dressed and you're not as smart as them and they could do your job better than you could do the job. And the competitor gave a better price and blah, blah, blah. And they just trash you. You just smile and nod. And, and then they tell you they're not going to buy from you. And you say, well, I'll be here when you're ready. And you go home and maybe like three years later, you show up and you get the sale. Mm-hmm. And when you get the sale, you don't say, you know, you really were rude to me and you were, a, you know, a jerk. You just take the money and smile. The customer is always right. Because uh, you could do the opposite, right? You could just say, I don't want your money. You were a jerk to me. Okay. But the bottom line is most people are jerks, like at some point in their life. And by the time you X out all of the people that you find disagreeable, there's nobody left to do business with. And and there's no and you've been X'd out of the society. So you're gonna have to live on an island somewhere and you know, try generating your own electricity and fishing for your own food on the island and hope you never have to replace your or take out your appendix or something, because it'll be difficult. So we have to get along with each other. We don't have to correct each other's flaws. We don't have to win every battle. All we need to do is just educate the world. Let me pivot. I want to talk to you about engineering. You were on Lex's pod recently, and you sort of said that civilization gets a B plus in engineering, and the philosophies or the economics sort of area gets a D minus. You know, largely because we've made progress, and you know, we've had a bit of a wash in that realm. But I guess I, I want to ask one nuanced piece about that is. Technology or engineering seems to be far more progressive in nature, like as in we build on top of it, whereas philosophies or principles or economics seem to be, or morality, for example, seems to be more principled in nature. It's not something that, you know, once you've figured out like a methodology for living, you know, or a philosophy of morality, for example, it kind of stays the same right? It's not like engineering, which you sort of continue to build on top of. So I guess first is, do you have a thought on that? And then next, I want to ask you about engineering for complexity, because I've got a little bit of a digression on that. I think that to the extent we depoliticize things, we make progress. The decision to use steel instead of wood in a house is not so much political. And when you build a steel building, it's demonstrably better. So the fact that you can demonstrate virtue in an apolitical way is what causes science and technology to advance. It's not always, right? If you have a theocracy where you can't, right? Like look what they did to Galileo. Mm. Right? So Russia ha- and you, Stalin, right? Same thing. Yeah. If you have a culture that doesn't let you do that in a political way, then you don't advance so fast. But generally, the advantage of engineering disciplines is I can build, if I build a bad plane, it crashes and burns, and it's obvious. And if I build a good plane and you get in it, you fly, it's obvious. Same with ships, same with railroads, same with a lot of things. Same with guns, right? I mean, you know, you pull the trigger, it blows up in your face, right? You know, it doesn't matter whether 
you're you have this political view or that political view you prefer the gun that works the way you wanted it to work and so those things tend to be very virtue driven and they're very darwinian too right whereas if you look at the fields of economics and philosophy we're still debating the right form of government for 2500 years right democracy versus monarchy versus autocracy oligarchy versus whatever it is there's still a debate we haven't resolved that debate really so i think that those are harder uh, obviously my philosophy is if you want to better the human condition you're better off to invest in technical solutions than political solutions totally agree and that's why i say bitcoin as uh digital energy is a technical solution non-controversial the successor to electricity bitcoin as a digital currency is a political solution highly controversial revolutionary one is revolutionary and the other is evolutionary one of them is political the other one is technology technical one of them you know invites engineering professors to consider whether this is sound or not the other invites economic professors you know and so you can see like in winning the battle of the hearts and the minds are you more likely to convince an engineer that bitcoin is good or convince an economist that bitcoin is good i guess it depends the kind of economist right you know maybe the modern politically influenced economist will be a little bit tougher because they want to It's been hard though right yeah the majority of economists are, you know aren't even in flavor of they're not even in favor of a non-inflationary currency mm -hmm. so so my view is we're better off to focus on the technology than the politics or than the economics but if and if we must get involved in economics we're better off to focus upon just asset allocation of assets rather than focus upon currency replacements currency is always going to be political right and the next logical fight is the argentines fighting with the americans over whether or not argentine argentinian citizens can hold us dollars and if it's going to be a debate <clears throat> let the argentine government fight with the us government over that right i mean they the united states is not likely to have all their citizens jailed while they debate with the Argentine State Department over the dollar problem in Argentina, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't want to, as a Bitcoiner, go down to Argentina and have that same fight. You know, you're going to end up in a cage. Coming back to the engineering thing. So I wrote a piece a little while ago that looked at, I was taking some of Jordan Peterson's work and his chapter two in his 12 Rules for Life kind of takes the reader on a journey about this idea of chaos and order and he talks about matter and what matters and I guess the study of matter could be described as more engineering-esque it's more empirical in nature and particularly over the last 500 years there's been a great skew in civilization towards the advancement in the study of matter right and things like religion or philosophy or economics, et cetera, that kind of sits more in the, in the realm of what matters. And you know, that's a study of you know, how to live, et cetera. Now, I've I grappled with this idea of, we've seen so much 
technological or engineering type progress that you know we maybe in some sense what we've done is we've tried to take all of the studies of what matters so the more um you know the more philosophical natured things and tried to place them in an empirical box and use engineering type modalities to kind of fix them and this sort of where what i'm getting to here is like the idea of central planning an entire economy or you know complex systems being able to be distilled into these simple models and if only the variables within the model so like these human beings should just be variables and if we can fit them in the box then everything will be perfect and we have these utopian ideals of how society should be run so i guess wonder whether we can fix things purely through an empirical lens you know as engineers or do we can we kind of get ourselves stuck there and i mean the end of my essay was basically this idea that bitcoin kind of fuses the worlds of matter and what matters because bitcoin is you know transcends just being a technological idea like it's it transcends engineering it's temporal social cultural and in some sense even it's got a religious element to it but i wonder what your thoughts are there on those two worlds because they are both important if we to skew too far towards the empirical then you kind of sanitize the life out of civilization in a sense Yeah, I'm not quite sure you're getting very philosophical on me. <laughs> I guess what I have to say about Bitcoin is Bitcoin represents, it is matter and energy in cyberspace. That's the big idea we ought to focus on. And we ought to be sending that message to all engineers everywhere that without Bitcoin, you don't have matter or energy in cyberspace and everything that exists in the in the internet domain and the digital domain is merely a simulation or a model of something mm -hmm. in the real world. The significance of, you know, being able to transfer something of value without an intermediary means that if I can transfer it to you without an intermediary, I can instantiate it or I can manifest it without an intermediary. And that means it stands alone in cyberspace rather than being an image of something that is in the real world. The image in the real world makes it a security, whereas when you actually manifest the actual unit, the Satoshi in the digital realm, it is matter. I can create something of substance in the digital realm using Bitcoin. And if that's the case, then that that introduces the field of engineering and physics into cyberspace. And that's what's been missing in the entire digital realm. The digital realm for the past 30 years <clears throat> lacked matter and energy, and you just had simulations. And that meant that computer science might have been relevant, but all the other sciences were never relevant. Like all of the learnings of mechanical engineering and civil engineering and thermodynamics and physics and material science and aeronautical engineering, all of those insights, they're not relevant if there's no matter and no energy mm -hmm. in the digital realm. So I think that, uh, that what makes Bitcoin magical is that for the first time we introduce this concept 
of, I mean, someone on Twitter the other day was talking about irreversible transactions. They said, why was Satoshi so fascinated by irreversible transactions? You know, and they approached it from a, you know, a very, I think, a narrow point of view, the idea like we can't have irreversible transactions because that allows, you know, we can't fix money laundering and we can't censor and how do we get control of the system? But my thought was, yeah, Satoshi wanted irreversible transactions, but the idea for irreversible transactions came from the great almighty when the universe was created. Yes. Right. Because, you know, in the beginning, you know, let there be light, right? In the beginning, there was nothing. And then there was light. Light is energy. So the first thing that happens is energy. And then from, and matter is energy. And time flows in the beginning, right? Before time flew, before time, there was nothing. Yeah, maybe it was all a simulation at that point. Yeah. And so what happens? Well, when you actually introduce the concept of irreversibility, you introduce entropy mm-hmm. and time, right? The pass- the progression of time is the progression of disorder and they're inextricably intertwined and matter and energy are inextricably intertwined. And Bitcoin is like that big bang. And in the big bang, you know, in the beginning, right? There was nothing. And then all of a sudden the time chain starts to form and there's irreversibility. And now there's the passage of time. And now there's electricity run through the SHA-256 protocol to become digitized energy, a, a digital asset. And the beauty of the protocol was it was introduced as a conservative protocol not an open-ended protocol, right? One that the universe has a bound of 21 million. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and because we had that, we had for the first time, this sort of bearer instrument that represents energy that's conservative. And if I can transfer it to myself, to yourself without an intermediary, then I can instantiate it. And if I can instantiate it, I can persist it. The ability to persist energy without an intermediary is what allowed us to cut the cord with the banks. Now the money flowing over the internet wasn't a reflection. It wasn't a shadow of the money in the Visa network. It wasn't a shadow of the money in a bank, right? Uh, To paraphrase, you know, Plato's, you know, shadows in the cave Mm -hmm. parable. It's like, are you looking at shadows or you're looking at the real thing? Yeah. Everything was shadows of the real thing until Satoshi. And now we actually have the real thing, also known as, uh, you know, reified information, but reified, just a fancy word for objective, you know, an object, right? A materialization, materialized information. So you could say it's materialized information, or you could say it was dematerialized energy, which is the opposite way to say the same thing. So if you're focused upon matter, and matter is relevant because matter is conservative, then the most extraordinary thing is the creation of matter in cyberspace. Because now I can construct a billion dollar structure in cyberspace apart from 
any institution or individual, right? You could literally release the thing in cyberspace and it can live on its own. You want to, you, you could in theory create some kind of program, an AI program that was wealthy, that could live forever with assets or with wealth that is completely separate from any physical counterparty, mm-hmm. right? And that, that has all sorts of implications for efficiency through time and space and persistence yeah, there's a, and engineering. Specifically what you said about the forward movement of time, I think when that dawned on me a number of years ago, and I've kind of written about this before, and I've often said that Bitcoin's greatest impact on human civilization is the reintroduction of consequence. And I think these two things interplay with each other here is that the fact that Bitcoin makes matter in cyberspace, to use your words, when you're in a simulation and there's no consequence and you can just behave the way you want, you create these sort of deviations. It doesn't function like real life anymore. But when you reintroduce a consequence, then you need to think twice about what you're doing. And it is like the forward motion of time in reality, because if I go tomorrow and jump off a cliff and I die, there's no rewind button. I can't fix that. And it's the same way as if I yeah. send some Bitcoin to <clears throat> the wrong address, there's no reversibility. So so it's like a, a mapping that the map actually fits the territory for the first time in civilization's history. And that consequence piece for me is really interesting because then it links back to a healthier study of what matters. When we said before, like, the study of what matter is like, you know, you've had all these things like religion and philosophy, etc. They've been an attempt to try and grapple with how one must behave when contended with the consequence of actions in the real world. And because we've kind of built all these fantasy models when it comes to whether politics or economics or all this other shit that's going on in the world today, everything's kind of like playing pretend. Like I saw on the news this morning, I was on the at the gym and I saw President Biden tells the states to lower the price of gas. It's like, <laughs> you can't just pretend your way into like fixing a problem. And this is, you know, Bitcoin kind of removes that ability to pretend. And by reintroducing consequence, it like, I don't know, it, it fixes that dynamic between matter and what matters. Yeah, well, you know, we're skeptical of central planning for obvious reasons. And the things that work well be- because they're beyond the domain of politics. Mm-hmm. So economics, philosophy, politics, all these things are political in nature. And that means that central, central planners and politicians can intervene and will intervene. And generally, the interventions are all well-meaning and ineffective. Mm-hmm. And the more interventions they have, the more pain caused. And the best cases are just well-meaning and effective and economically crippling. And the worst cases, they're well-meaning and effectively and devastating. They create war and destruction and topple the entire civilization, right? So things that are beautiful are things in nature that are beyond the reach of politics. So a politician can't stop the force of gravity. Mm-hmm. You know, like all these people say, you know, why would I ever want to have an irreversible transaction? Like when you drop a rock off a cliff, it's irreversible transaction. Why would you want to have it? Because every machine works based upon those principles, right? If I want to build a dam, I need to know that the water always flows downhill and that no politician is going to cause the water to flow uphill randomly, you know, per code because it breaks the dam. 
internal combustion engines work on principles, you know, hot air expands, pistons fire, you know, centrifugal forces at work. So you can't build a mechanism without, without energy and matter and natural law and no political intervention. And that means if there is no matter in cyberspace, then nothing you do in, ma- in cyberspace matters. matters. Yeah. And that's why you get, that's why you get 180 million fake accounts on Twitter every year because nothing matters. And that's why you get all the garbage and the spam and the phishing attacks and the toxicity because nothing matters. And when things start to matter, there are consequences. And when there are consequences, you know, there's nothing unhealthy in nature because nature recycles every unhealthy thing very mm-hmm. quickly. I had a goose on my property the other day and it broke a leg, you know, a gosling, a small goose. And there's like 50 other geese too. So I have a lot of geese, but this one broke a leg and we tried to save it by putting it in the pond and it lasted one day. And the next day I got up and I just saw a bunch of goose feathers all around the garden, no goose. Oh, well. <laughs> Either the fox got it or an owl got it, you know, and there's nothing to be done about it. You're not going to see anything that isn't healthy in nature. No lawyers, no courts, right? No, no appeal. And uh, you can't, you know, you can't create a mechanism without matter and energy. And so if I... What's the difference, right? If the transaction is reversible, then I can transfer the money every two months and the money velocity is six times per year. If the transaction is not reverse or is irreversible, I can move it every hour, right? Thousands of times a year on the base layer, but I could move it every second on lightning or I can put it on a layer three and tweak it a bit and I can move it a thousand times a second. So what's the difference between reversible or political and irreversible, right? And I got to say, like today I picked up the phone and I approved a wire transfer from a bank to another bank. Okay, I could do 10 transactions per week on the phone. That's the 20th century way using people and reversible transactions. And the velocity when you go to irreversible and matter and energy is gonna go to a kilohertz or 10 kilohertz or a thousand kilohertz. And so it's not like 10X better or 100X better or a thousand X better. It's like, try singing a- Paradigm, yeah, exactly. Try singing a song by like tapping your foot on a rock as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see, you, just, you can't. You know, Beethoven symphonies are not going to come, you know, due to one guy hitting himself over the head with a rock. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to do right now, Alex, right? Everything we built in cyberspace, right? They're shadows of reality. And as much as we tell ourselves, we built something functional. It's what is it? It's like, it's a grotesque, it's a grotesque monstrosity of something functional. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
you can spin up 500,000 accounts a day on Twitter. Huh? They're all fake. You know, you can place 1,000 comments a minute on Twitter. They're all toxic garbage, fake. Right? They're fake because there's no consequences. There's no matter. There's no energy. So we create things that have the appearance of functionality, but they're not truly beautiful and they're not functional. And if we actually take this to the next extreme, consider, consider all the buildings in the world constructed with steel. Now take away all the steel and consider what the world looks like. Now consider all the structures in cyberspace built without Bitcoin. Nothing beautiful. Every, you know, everything twisted and perverted in some way, shape or form. Now imagine we introduce a crypto steel, this thing we call Bitcoin, digital, you know, we run machines in cyberspace on digital energy and we build walls and buildings and structures and fortresses in cyberspace with digital matter. And now for the first time, there are consequences and things do matter. And what beautiful machines will we make? And, uh, and what kind of, you know, toxic garbage will we purge mm -hmm. from the system? You start just by giving everybody on Twitter an orange check and get rid of all the bots, get rid of all the fake accounts, just get rid of everything. Get rid of all the scammers. I think all the scammers on YouTube, I think as far as I can see, there've been 25,000 Michael Saylor Bitcoin giveaway scams <laughs> launched in the past six months. 25,000. It's insane. Okay, so what's the cost of that? I spend a million dollars a year trying to fight that. Me, million dollars a year. Like with people like with these kind of headaches, you know, and the world's full of that kind of stuff. And the problem is we just don't have the right materials working in the digital realm. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. We're going back to Miami for Bitcoin 2023. Lock in your tickets before prices go up. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets today. The censorship resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today. I was just going to say, it reminds me of two things. One is an analogy that I used in a recent article called the blind man analogy. I say that the way society seems to operate today is like a blind man attempting to build a house with an elastic tape measure. And, you know, Bitcoin kind of gives us a tape measure and actually gives us sight. So, you know, the level of difference in the two kinds of structures could be described by that kind of analogy is like a, a sighted person with an actual tape measure versus a blind person with a, with an elastic tape measure. But I wanted to just park that analogy. The interesting thing about fixing matter in the digital realm is that you introduce cost, you introduce consequence. It actually, I would argue that a lot of these innovation, and this is something that I think Peter Thiel would probably echo is that We've seen so-called software eat the world, but do it in a strange sort of way where, as you said, like we've got all these perverted innovations, like we, we don't need another, you know, 
dick pic app full of bots and you know god knows what else is in there like we've got actual problems in the spe in the realm of atoms not of bits that need to be solved but there is a skew to go towards innovation in bits and bytes and dematerialization all this sort of stuff because it's all made up it's all fantasy there's no economic cost there's no consequence so it's just like this weird self-reinforcing game where I think most of the innovation, all of the brains, all of the engineering power that the world has seems to have gone into financial engineering and mindless software engineering where and all of the meaningful problems are not being solved because there's been this lack of anchor in the digital realm back to the physical realm. And I think that is a an underappreciated element of what I think Bitcoin fixes in the world to a large degree. And I don't know what that means long term, you know, maybe quality over quantity, you know, maybe pushing the world towards, you know, solving so-called problems that have been too, quote unquote, expensive to solve or the opportunity cost being too expensive because it's easier to just build another random software product that doesn't actually solve a problem, but makes some VCs some money. I, th I think the real interesting innovative work is to be done on top of Bitcoin, either developing, expanding new lightning libraries and the light, you know, harnessing the lightning protocol or building applications using various parts of lightning protocol or improving it <clears throat> or building on layer threes and just building proprietary centralized applications that, that have Bitcoin embedded in them. And I think that uh, there's been an underinvestment in that, and there's been an overinvestment in creating new base layer chains. Way too much focus on proof of stake networks and like 19,800 coins. You know, and I look at all of it, and I, you know, I'm hard pressed to see, but just endless recursive financial engineering yeah. without solving the fundamental problems. Whereas the fundamental problems that are interesting are things like, like if you can stream sats, then, you know, why couldn't I actually spin up a state of spaces where anybody that shows up that meets a certain credential filter gets a hundred sats a second or a thousand sats a second. And then I'd literally be like, like sh a shining sunshine. Like if I if I stream sats by the second or by the millisecond, it's literally like shining sunshine. Sunshine is light, sats are energy, like quanta of energy. And if you did that, then you could turn into a marketing application. And I think people are starting to think about this, like marketing apps where you like listen to earn. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I do that? If you're a PhD, cardiologists and I want to attract a bunch of PhD cardiologists and maybe I would set up something where they get paid some money to come and join my space to help me solve a problem. And so that would be a marketing application and every marketing person in the world could create these systems that radiate money, radiate energy. And you can flip it the other way, which is I'm going to suck the energy out of you. Uh, if you want to enter my space, uh, you're going to have to pay 100 sats a second or 1,000 mm -hmm. sats a second, right? And that's, a, that's another, another form of friction. And then you can create lightning walls or like a firewall where you have to pledge 100,000 or 10,000 sats to enter across the wall. And you may forfeit it. You know, like, you know what it's like if you enter a burning building? 
if you go to a burning building in the real world, you would walk in and then it's going to get hot. And then at some point you're going to start to burn. And then eventually you'll be dead, right? That's consequence, a burning building. Can you create a burning building in cyberspace? You enter the building. So, so where are you going with this analogy? Yeah. So once you get to this idea, what I'm saying is you can literally create sunshine in cyberspace or you can create a fire in cyberspace you can create a heat sink you can create a wall mm -hmm. you can rip down the wall you okay. can you can create any number of structures and and you can implement the structures with the frequency that's machine speed so you could create very intricate mechanisms that might run a million times faster than a physical mechanism that have friction friction and consequence and, and, and they exchange kinetic energy and potential energy. And you can use those things to clean up all the social media platforms. You can use them to solve enterprise cybersecurity issues. You can use them to revolutionize marketing. You can revolutionize sales. You can change the nature of products and services. People just need to think differently. What, what we've never, what if I could put enough electricity in a Tesla to drive it for 10 years? What, what if I invented a fusion reactor and I put a sugar cube in the reactor and that operated the car for a decade? Well, that, that would be kind of interesting, an everlasting immortal car that draws energy from a reactor. Well, so what if I could do with electricity? Well, I can't because the battery would have to be 10,000 times better. Well, what if I did it with a Bitcoin? What if I put $50,000 worth of Bitcoin into the car, in the chip? And then what if the Bitcoin ran through a exchange and then it ran through a electric power provider and the car was just continually replenished off of the Bitcoin for the life of the car? I could, I could build a power source into the car. What if, I, what if I built it into anything? What if I built it into the house? Like it's the, the conventional way to think about this is, is I gave you something mm. with an endowment mm. to pay for its perpetual upkeep, like a perpetual, a, a perpetual annuity. Well, what if I create a perpetual annuity, but I do it with Bitcoin and then I attach it to a piece, a piece of hardware. You could attach it to a hardware wallet, right? I mean, like you could, you could attach it to a program. You could then, if you then start to, go back to this issue of frequency and vibration and you create products that interplay with each other, you can create all sorts of interesting, new, fascinating products that might, they might have marketing impact. They might have a product value. They might be a product in themselves. It might be a differentiator, might, might have a security value. All of that stuff is layer two, layer three, layer four, layer five innovation. And uh, that market is really embryonic. Not a little bit's being done there, right? I mean, the, you know, some of the lightning entrepreneurs, but I would say we're year two of lightning and of that, of that ecosystem. And the lightning protocol is going to evolve and improve. It needs to. And then there are a lot of things you don't even need that. You could do it in a layer three proprietary protocol. But the, these are the breakthrough ways to be thinking 
And I guess the analogy would be when you use the same technology, like say you say you if you've ever been to Europe and you travel around Europe, you see that all of the buildings built before the before 1900, mm -hmm. they're all six stories high. Like pretty much six stories is the engineering limit of masonry, you know, concrete brick structures with wood framing and the like. And also it's kind of the human factors limit without an elevator. You know, you can't, you can't walk up more 12 stories, even if you could build a building, but you probably can't structurally build a building and have it not collapse. So you got, by the way, I suspect that in Rome, mm -hmm. the tallest buildings were also six stories. So for about 2000 years, maybe 3000 years, people were pretty much stuck and you could endlessly re-engineer and attempt to improve things, but the materials are the limiting factor. When steel comes along, now you can reimagine 10 story, 20 story, 40 story buildings, combine steel with, you know, the concept of, of an elevator or the like with a little bit of electricity. And, and now the entire world mm -hmm. of civil engineering explodes with a renaissance of creativity. And so materials hold back a given field. The steel was an important material. Oil, you know, if, if you calculate the energy density of oil and compare it to coal or compare it to wind, I went from rowing to sail to, you know, to coal steam powered engines to eventually diesel. Mm -hmm. But diesel was the big breakthrough. And it changed all, you know, all logistics, all, all maritime engineering, automotive engineering. You put steel together with, sorry, you put aluminum together with diesel and you get the airplane. And you take away those two things, right? No internal combustion engine, no, no oil or, and, and no, uh, no aluminum, no steel, the civilization disappears. So I've used the metaphor of crypto steel, right? Bitcoin really is that crypto steel. It's not just digital energy. It's digital matter, but it's a very particular type of matter. It's, it's a tough enough matter that you could build something that you could reasonably expect to layer. What, I, I, what do I want? I want the building to last 100 years, but I also mm -hmm. want it to be 100 stories high. And 100 stories high is working against gravity, right? And if you think about the, the energy and gravity on the 100th story versus the first, you know, the first level of the building, you needed some kind of material that had enormous energy density, metallic energy. And steel is the highest density metallic form of energy or the most powerful metallic energy manifested as matter. Right. But if you ever walked into a steel refinery and you looked at how they created it, there would be no mm -hmm. doubt in your mind a lot of energy goes into it. Extraordinary energy goes into it in order to in order to create that material. So I think if we if we look forward in the coming age, the human race is is held back by lack of certain materials. And when you find the material, you can leap forward and you can break through all of these constraints. And we have not even scratched the surface. There must be 10,000 different areas that you can reimagine with Bitcoin as the material.
we are we, we spend a lot of time talking about reimagining nation state currencies but i mean that's mm. the heaviest lift if you think about it right the single thing people fight over the most is probably nation state currency if we just go back to reimagining a family's balance sheet or a company's balance sheet or re reimagine a, a store of value asset and then we start reimagining an insurance policy and we we reimagine maybe a bank and we reimagine a social network and we reimagine a firewall there's a lot of other things we have yet to reimagine they're a lot less controversial they're more they're either financial innovation or they're technology innovation of sorts all of those things are are just waiting for the right bitcoin entrepreneur to go and build that product or that service and that offering and run with it and i I think that it's a very auspicious thing for me. I think there'll be extraordinary opportunities there. And, and if we're going to make, if we're going to make the human race or improve the human condition, I think re-engineering all those things with digital energy is, is critical and, and it's our opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can I say one more thing, by the way? Yeah. Yes. There is a lot of confusion in the entire crypto community about about what I mean when I say digital energy and whether Bitcoin is digital energy. And you just see people trolling me all the time saying, it's not energy, it's not energy, you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't understand. And I don't really want to get in debates on Twitter, right? Because you're not going to change somebody's mind about some deep mm -hmm. idea in 280 characters. So you just go irritate people. But I think it's worthwhile just for us to to focus upon yeah. this issue of what does it mean to be digital? For example, <clears throat> what is digital music? I have a piano and if I take a Steinway piano and I sit down and I play the piano, I've given you analog music and the, and that music persists only for a few minutes in time and then it goes away. And it's very expensive to manufacture that music. <laughs> I kind of I kind of think of that the same way I think of taking a shovel and shoveling as hard as I can or 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 gearing up on a rowing machine to generate a, a kilowatt hour of energy. It's a lot of work. I, I created it and then it disappears. Now there's something called a Steinway Spirio piano. I actually could put a Spirio unit on my piano and it's a digitizer and I can sit down and I can play piano concerto right or ragtime and i put the record on and it records mm -hmm. the song perfectly now it becomes a file it is a it is a digital file that file can be transferred anywhere in the world they put it on a network so now i download that file to a different piano in a different city and i punch a button and it runs the file back into the piano it pulls some electricity out of the wall right and it, it decodes the file and then the electricity fires up some actuators the actuators strike the keys mm -hmm. and the song plays itself i can play the song a thousand times i can play the song five years after it was recorded i can play it i, I can play songs that were recorded by someone in the 1920s on my piano today it's digital music. 
the file is the digital music. If I don't have a stereo piano to play it on, you might say, well, then it's not digital music, but the file is still digital music. If I'm deaf and I can't hear it, is it still digital music? The answer is, yeah, it's digital music. I can deliver you millions and millions of songs to any of those, to, to that device, anytime, any place, maybe a thousand years from now. A thousand years from now, you know, you'll listen to a great piano player play Rachmaninoff on that piano. So if I wish to transcend time and space, I, I digitally transform the music from analog to digital. And then when I want to listen to it again and enjoy it, I transform it back from digital back to analog. I reverse the transaction and it involves some machines, some, some electricity, some computer chips on either side. Now let's take energy. I run a nuclear power plant. I generate a billion dollars worth of energy. I can pump it into the grid. It'll be gone in a few minutes. A thousand years from now, it's gone. I, I generate in the year 2022. In the year 3022, it's gone. That's, that's analog energy. That is electricity. If I take the billion dollars of electricity and instead I sell it for a billion dollars of political energy, we call dollars, then I trade the political energy for digital energy, we call Bitcoin, and I have a billion dollars of Bitcoin. The Bitcoin is a file. I have transformed analog energy into digital energy. Now, when I move the file from me to you, I lose it, you have it. And the difference between that file and a digital music file is the music is not conservative and the Bitcoin is conservative. And so when I sent you the music file, I kept the copy. But when I send you the Bitcoin, there's no double spend. I lost the copy. So when I transfer the billion dollar file, the, in this case, the keys, it could just be transferring the keys and, and you know, there are a lot of ways we can do it. But at the end of the day, I can create a file with the private keys and I can move them at the speed of light. I can move them a million times a second, right? On a layer three, if I want to, I can slice them, multiplex them, oscillate them, vibrate them. However, and I can store them for a thousand years or a hundred years or 10 years or one year. And I can send it to Tokyo. And when you receive the file in Tokyo, you want the electricity back. You convert the, you convert the Bitcoin into yen, the, the yen into electricity. And now you've got a billion dollars worth of electricity in Tokyo with no energy loss. Right, right now, the, the, the loss would be maybe a few basis points in the trade, depending upon the state of the exchanges. And if they're inexpensive exchanges, okay, well, maybe you lose 50 basis points or 100 basis points. Call that friction. You lose 600 basis points just to move the electricity down a power line a few miles. So, so 600 basis points is the transaction fee right now. You can get to 60, probably 30. Last I checked, the transaction fee on the Bitcoin network was one basis point. Like you were literally paying one one hundredth of a percent of the value transferred as transaction fee. And uh, that was pretty extraordinary to me. So when I when I think of and uh, refer to Bitcoin as digital energy, what I mean is you can literally transfer you can transform any form of energy 
And people need to think more broadly. Oil is energy, natural gas is energy, electricity is energy, money is energy, euros, yen, won are energy, food is energy, work is energy, water in a dam upstream is energy. They're all energy. And you transform them into different types of energy. Eventually, you're gonna, you'll probably flip through a political energy we call fiat currency, and then you'll convert that. These are heat mm -hmm. exchanges or energy exchanges, right? You're just transforming one, one type of energy to another. What is vibration? Vibration literally is the transformation of energy from one form to another form, right? Like pendulum, kinetic. this is potential energy. This is kinetic energy, potential kinetic. I, I, it's continually with a sine wave vibrating, just like that guitar is vibrating, potential energy to kinetic energy. When you're, when you're vibrating energy between the dollar and the Bitcoin and back to the dollar and into electricity and back to the Bitcoin, you're just, you're just vibrating it. And you've got a little bit of energy loss, but not that much. And if, it's, and if there's not very much energy loss, you get a resonating frequency. You know, you strike something and it'll, it'll actually hum, right, forever, right? A long, long time. And what's an example of something that's resonating for a long time? A laser beam through space, mm. go for a long time, long way. <laughs> so once you start to understand that idea, right? That, that file with the keys to Bitcoin is digital energy, just like a file with a song on it is musical energy, just like a file with a map on it is, so, sorry, is, is uh, digital music. And a file with a map on it is just digital information or a digital map. They're all just digital transformations. And the reason you transform them digitally is so that you can vibrate them at any frequency and store them with no degradation, right? Move them in a friction-free programmatic fashion and store them forever. And I, I, I can't store my oil or my electricity forever. And I can't program it, decompose it, recompose it, and oscillate or vibrate it. And uh, that's why I want it digital. But as soon as you break that idea and you realize that once you've digitally transformed it, then the sky's the limit because at that point, you can write programs and machines that do 10 million things an hour with it. You can, you can decompose it and vibrate it, you know, in different forms between a 100,000 counterparties in an hour. I mean, who knows where that leads? One, one very in, useful application we've talked about is just if you simply implement this as a form of cybersecurity to, to, to post a security deposit as you transfer through cyberspace or move through cyberspace, the average person will click through hundreds of web pages a day. So if you're actually posting and retrieving your deposit hundreds of times a day, that's a much higher frequency transaction than any purchase in get transactions you ever go through. And you couldn't do it if you didn't have efficiency, because if you mm -hmm. lost 1% of your money every time you, you went from site to site, you would have no money left after an hour. And so you, you can see the skin gets flayed off your body because there's just so much friction so when I eliminate that, I, I think the right metaphor is like, what if I invented something that you could, what if I had a machine, you could hold it in your hand, you pointed at anything and it made it weightless. 
like a, you know, a levitator. What if I could make your car weightless? What if you could make anything weightless, a building, a ship, a plane, a tree, anything? Click, it's weightless. Now, think about the implications for logistics and construction and the like. It's like putting, if you can make it weightless, you can put it in orbit, then you can reimagine the entire civilization. And when, when we convert physical energy and physical matter to digital energy and digital matter, in cyberspace, it's weightless. And, and you can play with the, with the concept of time and frequency and scale, right? Some, something in orbit will orbit forever, right? It's like the, the difference between getting into orbit and getting almost into orbit is almost into orbit as you burn up in a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds into orbit and you orbit forever, right? To the end of time, you know, or at least until something else slams into you. And so digital energy is about putting energy into orbit. It's about putting something real into cyberspace. And the profound idea is if, if you can create digital energy, you can create digital matter. If you can create digital matter, you can create something that matters. <laughs> And now the passage of time and, and the onset of entropy allows you to construct something in the digital realm, which is orders of magnitude better than what we have I think today. That was a really good framing, particularly the, the, the music analogy. I, I just want to clarify one point is that in the process of all of this transformation, particularly the, the ability to, so when you say click, make something weightless, that's the process of digitization that you're describing there, right? It's like taking something and digitizing it. The, yeah. the, the keystone idea behind all of this though is what you mentioned about conservatism, right? Is you can't just do that and assume no cost, right? There, there has to be a, like if, if you, click, make something weightless, and then it escapes the system, you know, then you actually fucked up. The point of weightless is, the point is, I want to move a billion dollars of electricity mm -hmm. from here to Tokyo for free. You see, that's, that's impossible to move that thing without digitizing it. You can't get it there, right? When I, so if I said to you, I want you to move that car, right? Pick it up and move it. You can't pick it up and move it. I have to make it weightless. I didn't eliminate the mass of the car. I just made it possible for you to move the car from point A to point B by making it weightless. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by that. When you digitally transform, so you didn't lose the mass or the energy, you gained the ability to move it a million times a second, you see? anywhere like maybe you know the mm -hmm. better metaphor is teleport right i mean so you know people have used that before what if you could was it either hal finney or satoshi or somebody said what if you could teleport this thing right so it's it's kind of critical to think of this because when you, when you start to embrace the idea of digitally transforming energy, the big idea is not the digital transformation everything because else, we digitally yeah. transformed yep. everything else non-conservative. 
the big idea is that energy is matter and and money is energy. And so the big idea is we have created digital matter, digital money, digital energy. The big idea is that money, money at low frequency is currency and money at high yeah. frequency, money at mid frequency is currency. Mm -hmm. Money at low frequency is property. Money at high frequency is just pure energy. And so the, the big idea is, is you can create digital currency, digital property, digital money, digital energy, digital matter. And that means you can create digital machines. Maybe you create digital walls, digital fortresses, also all sorts of, of you can mm. probably create digital life, right? Yeah. I mean, Satoshi opens, you know, this portal into the digital realm, energy flows through without energy. There's not real life. There's mm -hmm. just the shadow of life. Like, like, for example, what if I want to create something that's a, a living AI that's independent and has sovereignty? I could never do it before Bitcoin because ultimately you've got a counterparty that controls the money. Yeah. That's outside of cyberspace. And it's like, how, how does a machine get a credit card from a bank? Right? Because it's political. <laughs> The, 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 the subtlety here is we've just moved matter and energy and money out of the political domain and we've moved it into the cyber domain or allowed you to at least create a, a small colony with, with digital energy and digital matter in cyberspace that can grow over time. And you could think of Bitcoin is, is we open that hole and through that hole comes 400, $500 billion worth of energy. We're not quite sure exactly how much energy there is because there's so much volatility, but it's, you know, it's sometimes when a fire is just getting going, you're yeah, not quite, it's not quite clear flying, how much yeah. energy is in that fire either. It's sparking and and uh, and it's very volatile and you don't have measurement instruments and it's so dynamic and changing so rapidly it's not clear. But once you've actually established the fact that the file, the information itself is the energy, then a program that controls the information controls the energy. And and now, now you've created some reflexivity. Like in theory, now that artificial intelligence creature has has the money, the energy to reach out in the real world and manifest itself as a product or a service, right? As opposed to the opposite direction, autonomously. Like what'll happen? I don't know, but the, the, the obvious application would be like some kind of trust application. If I wanted to create an endowment that would do things in perpetuity over on, on a mm. like time locked contracts, you know, time locked contracts are interesting for a few minutes or a few days, but they get really interesting when they're for, you know, every five years or every 10 years or every 20 years, right. Or something like that. You want something to go on in perpetuity where it, and what's our problem. Our problem is the counterparty right. I, risk, right? I want to hold my goal for a hundred years. What bank can I trust for a hundred years not to seize it? And the answer is no, none. You have to move it every 10 years. So, so if I, if I can find a way 
to instantiate something of serious value without a counterparty, right? This one makes me think about inheritance for my kids, like long-term. I want to create a system whereby they have to go through particular rites of passage to earn and unlock elements of their Bitcoin. And it, 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 that's a really. (laughs) Yeah. I I was thinking the same thing, really. It's like, if you wanted to have something that's virtuous, virtuous and programmatic and and you wanted to create it such that mm-hmm. it would it mm-hmm. would be there even if you're not it's like ultimately if you have enough money then maybe you can afford to hire a lawyer mm-hmm. but the lawyer dies i mean what person could you hire today that you could trust in 30 years okay so then you hire a firm right which firm can you trust in 30 years now you're back yeah. to this issue of who can you trust? And will they be corrupted or captured by a nation state? You know, can you count on that foundation to fulfill your wishes after you're gone? Tricky. The computer program, though, like I fully expect, you know, Bitcoin will be doing its Bitcoin thing in the year 2140 when it stops issuing coins to miners and I don't know why it wouldn't be doing the same thing and, and, and affecting the protocol in 2240 and 2340 and 2440. So I think that there are interesting things to be built on top of it, but they're much better built on top of like a lightning protocol where yeah. Bitcoin I is mean, the gas. Even th- th- there's one thing that this reminds me of is like Bitcoin's this kind of long-term phenomenon that, that has entered a world kind of trapped in short-termism and you know it's such a it's such a juxtaposition i guess in in that sense but i i want to ask you something about life and and entropy i've been toying with this idea for a little bit i I wrote some notes here somewhere let me see if i can find it there it is so you know you on the on the pod with lex you described humans as engineers and and I, I agree with you. I think our in our DNA seems to be this um, this predisposition towards transforming something chaotic into something of a greater order. And it's just it's just I don't know what we do since we picked up the first rock and threw it at an animal to save some time and energy in acquiring some food. We we seem to <coughs> behave in this direction. So I've tried to think about life as this anti-entropic force in a sense it's like everything else seems to be seems to operate with like entropy entropy seems to go the opposite way but life seems to be this one thing that bucks entropy and yeah engineering is the is the process of creating order around you by pushing the entropy or the disorder elsewhere, right? Right. So when, when I create a bridge, I create order, you know, around the bridge, but of course all the work done and the energy expended creates disorder elsewhere. And mm-hmm. I think that's a description of life, right? We, we are creating order around us by, by putting disorder elsewhere. And there's a lot of places to put it, right? So. <laughs> Just put it away from you. Maybe we bury it. Like, 
maybe we burn it. So, I mean, that is engineering and that's, that's life in general. And humans are the best engineers. So we're doing the the most of that. Species, right. It's like we've, did you, did you ever read Brandon Quittam's piece about Bitcoin, the pioneer species? Yeah, it's, I think it's, yeah. 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 It was a fantastic piece. And, you know, the, the, the concept of carrying capacity comes to mind now is that life seems to want to increase its carrying capacity, take more energy, create more order and, you know, carve out a space for itself. I, I, get, I guess that's why I hate. <coughs> go, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's, I think Brandon's great and he writes really great stuff and he's brilliant and I've liked everything he's written. I think that Darwinian process is squeezing the inefficient out. creatures yeah. and the inefficient designs out, right? And like, if there's three, if there's three species in the same ecosystem, and one of them is able to capture food three times as fast as the other two, then the one pushes out the other one, right? I mean, all other things being equal, so all of this evolution is is experimentation, mutation, and ordering, and the most efficient, the most efficient processes, the most efficient species succeed. And it's like, I mean, I looked, I looked over the the other day, I saw a blue heron, and the blue heron is sitting in a creek behind my house. And I thought to myself, and the heron's fishing, Mm -hmm. and it's always there. But how do you think I know there's fish in the creek? Because, you know, the heron wouldn't sit there and fish for four days in a row if it didn't get any fish, right? (laughs) Right? After about a week, it would either be, if it's stupid, it would be dead. And if it's smart, it would leave. But one way or the other, the problem's getting sorted out, right? If If the bird is not smart enough to figure out how to fish and not smart enough to figure out where to go fish, then there's no bird. And so nature just has a way of spontaneously ordering things continually and there's this competition and human beings are the biggest you know actors in that ecosystem but there are variables for example you know you've got the example of easter island where where the the human beings there ended up with an inefficient political system and they chopped down all their trees and starved themselves right they were irrational so, so that's an example of Darwinian selection working in one way, right? And, the, and you know, there's, there's society, hard money societies that have functioning economies and there's loose money societies and they collapse the currency. And when they collapse the currency, all their companies fail and then all their political constructs fail, right? And then they generally, you know, get taken over by somebody else if there's anything desirable there and exploited, right? If they got raw materials, they get exploited by a, a better organized society or, or civilization. And if they don't have raw materials, they just get left to their squalor. And Bitcoin is an example of good technology, but you could say good technology is anti-entropic. Or there, there are more efficient ways or less efficient ways to do things. Right? It's... it's it's kind of simple, like try to move stuff around with a wheel and without a wheel, 
right? You've got human beings in both cases. I use this example with Breedlove, where if you go to the American History Museum, you can find that the uh, the, the Native Americans, they invented yeah, the wheel, but yeah. they only used it as a pottery wheel. They turned this. it and they just spun pottery with it. And it never occurred to them to turn it the other way and use it as a wagon wheel. You know, and of course, the Europeans kind of figured it out. There's no record of the Native Americans ever figuring it out. And so eventually the Europeans show up with the ships and the guns and the germs and everything else. And one society displaces the other one. I don't know if it's just not inventing the wheel that held them back, but it, yeah. it certainly didn't help them any. If you don't invent the wheel, you probably, there are a lot of other things you probably don't. Speaking of that out. conversation with Breedlove, I think on that segment of discussions, you guys, you mentioned something which really clicked for me and that I've thought of, in fact, kind of write about it in this book is that, you know, nature and all functional complex systems are, are adaptive control systems. You know, they error correct. And I mean, something that's alive, error corrects. And, and this is, I think, one of the really mind blowing things about Bitcoin is that, you know, it, it adapts and <clears throat> like it's, it's, it's in Bitcoin's DNA to adapt and it doesn't require some sort of central manager to do that. It, it kind of does it itself, which is very much, I think, you know, the definition of like nature or capitalism even is, you know, they, they seem to be, yeah, as you said, like an error correcting adaptive system. Yeah, you could definitely characterize it as a virus and you could characterize it as mm. something more sophisticated than a virus too, depending upon, depending upon your, your sentiments, but it definitely does. It does have the elements of, of a life form that is evolving. And as you, as you attach other applications to it, right, the miners are, are an instantiation mm -hmm. of Bitcoin and and they move almost like specialized cells, right? And Bitcoin hodlers are another form of Bitcoin and Bitcoin exchanges are another form and then Bitcoin applications are another form. And, and as you build layers of applications on top, right? They're all life forms, different, different cells, different organisms, and they're living and they're dying. They're coming and they're going all the time, right? And it becomes more complex. And that's... So, so that's, it, it is one of the great viral technologies, truly viral, and you could characterize it and, and think of it as life in cyberspace. It is cyber life. It's like all, all these creatures, right? You're, you've got a relationship with a Bitcoin miner in a country you've never been to that you'll never meet. And yet they're part of the system. May, you know, sometimes I think of Bitcoin miners as the skin just like the, mm. your skin is part of your immune system. It's like if you scrape some off, it hurts bad, but it's the first line of defense. So, you know, a, a Bitcoin miner will get attacked by this nation state or they'll get their electricity jacked up by that one. That's not mm -hmm. unlike you putting your hand on a hot stove. Yeah. The, the power company doubled the cost of my electricity. That's like, mm -hmm. oh, I touched a hot stove. It hurt. What are you going to do next? You're going to go find a power company you can trust. Well, 
I was minding my own business and an earthquake hit and, you know, and the skillet fell off the stove and burned me. Well, it's yeah. just accident, nothing you could do about it. <laughs> What's the solution? Well, the human race has got more than mm -hmm. one person mm -hmm. in a kitchen at any given time. So hopefully not all of us, you know, get hit by the earthquake in the same place, you know, we're decentralized and life goes yeah. on. I want to ask you one one last question because we're kind of nearing the end of this part. Is I don't, I don't know. I've got two two here. Maybe we can hit both. One of them is this idea of paradigm shifts because Bitcoin is such a profound paradigm shift and it, and it touches so many different kind of areas. You know, there, there's a guy called uh, what's his name, Bronze Age pervert or whatever, and he he argues that you know the greatest civilizational changes occur as a as a result of the changes in weaponry, which is kind of similar to you know the the whole sovereign individual position on the returns to violence. And and I guess I think that's partly true. And then the other part that is true is this unlocking of new materials or energy, whether it's you know oil, steam, steel, etc. As we've mentioned, but you know we we've got this this thing however we're gonna frame it or call it perfect money fucking digital energy whatever we're gonna call it why do you think people like i'm, I'm thinking dahlia for example ray dahlia is like you know they talk about paradigm shifts but they completely like miss this very clear paradigm shift that's staring them in the face what do you think that yeah why well, first of all, I think it, it absolutely is a paradigm shift. And, and a lot of times people get lazy because they study paradigm shifts, but they study okay, ones that have you. already happened before they lived. And they think that they'll, <laughs> they would never fall for that. Okay, no? That was the best answer. It's like, but, but you're looking backwards, right? So they're like, it's because I'm, I'm looking backwards and I'm like, well, I, you know, I understand that, you know, you know, Einstein didn't get quantum physics, but I do, or I understand steel or I understand airplanes, but they're, they've got hindsight. And so they, they overestimate their grasp of the idea, but the, the real point of a paradigm shift is it's so profound. Mm -hmm. You could, you didn't expect like, like the, the earth is not the center of the universe. Right. It's like so profound that, yeah. that you didn't know to ask the question. And if you if you look at this, right, it's a paradigm shift for economists because yeah. they didn't really think about what money is. Right. You can make a reasonable argument that 95 percent of economists don't know what money is. They study their entire life. They just don't know what it is. They never think of it as energy mm -hmm. or economic energy. And and they don't think that physics or thermodynamics apply. And so they're not expecting it to be that. And they don't, and they don't think they're a hard science. I'm not a hard science. Therefore I didn't, you know, why did I do this? I didn't want to study physics or math or whatever. And so politicians the same way, right? I, I didn't want it to be that. And so I studied something different. And so, so I'm not looking for it to be that a lot of times people, the way you know it's a paradigm shift, by the way, is I would say 75% of the people in the crypto community don't understand I the concept of digital generous. energy. I think it's like all the crypto, the crypto people mm -hmm. that have been in for a decade, right? You know, they look at that and they, and they immediately reflexively say, mm -hmm. well, it isn't because I understand energy. Okay. Though, if you're really open-minded and somebody says something that is, that you don't agree with, and it's a paradigm shift, you would have to stop 
and then think really hard for hours and hours. And then you start by saying, well, maybe they're right. How would they be right? And you have to flip instead of reflexively saying they're wrong. And the reason people are reflexive is they've already decided what it is. Like the problem with cryptocurrency is everybody decided. And the problem with, with you know, being, being totally passionate about currency, currency, currency is you're in this political mindset where you've decided that this technology is a replacement for the dollar or a replacement for the yen or the euro. And then you're, you're in that train and it becomes a political economic thing for you. And then you're not going to stop and say, well, what's aeronautical engineering got to do with this? Just because that's just not right. What, what's civil engineering got to do with this? You know, what's music got to do with this? Because music and spaceship design and buildings and dams, those don't have anything to do with currency. You've decided what currency is. And so you want to, you want to drill into that. So I, I think that what you have is you've got one group of people, the economists, and they've never embraced engineering. So the idea that you, that, that money is energy and you could engineer a better system that's foreign to them because they've always taken comfort from the fact that economics is not engineering and it's not a hard science. They took comfort from it. And then I think that the, the guys like the Dalios of the world, a lot of the investors, I, I don't know. I mean, Dalio's almost getting to the conclusion, but, mm. but Dalio's not a technologist. So, so he doesn't really think of it as technology. He can't, he can, he can't bring himself to think, of an asset is technology. He's okay with macro. He can he can think macro, but he but if you think about technology and you know what happened with Google and Apple, and you know Google and Apple crushed everybody because of that network effect and because of that protocol stack, and you saw what happened to every everybody else in the system, then you start to see in terms of exponential viral winner take all behavior that goes super fast when you've got a technology metaphor. A lot of people, a lot of investors are not macro investors. And so they think, let's take Buffett and Munger. They actually think investment mm. consists of picking companies. Like their entire frame of reference is, is a universe that consists of 10,000 publicly traded companies or private companies. And you have to choose which company you're going to own. And of course, that's like shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. If I said, pick which deck chair you want to own on the Titanic, and you know, and you said, well, the Titanic's mm. sinking, we're all going to die. There isn't any deck chair I want to own. But if you were, if you lived on a cruise ship where the only thing you could invest in was deck chairs, and the ship had never sunk, that's right? the paradigm. Then you're entrained in that, and that's the, their paradigm is they think the ship will never sink. Like that, the reason I pick, I use the, the example of Argentina often is because it's a very obvious example of how no portfolio allocation will work. No mixture of bonds and stocks or conventional assets will work because everything is correlated to the currency, which is going to zero. And it's, this, it's when you're on a platform that's going to zero and everything is on that platform and correlated, then all of your thinking is conventional and it's all losing. 
so the 60-40 bond portfolio doesn't work and picking stocks doesn't work and, you know, Ben Graham value investing, it doesn't work in the Weimar Republic, right? It doesn't work when the currency goes to zero. No stock analysis works. So then you have to be a macro thinker. So yeah, you can sort of be a macro thinker, but one set of people that miss the paradigm are people that never saw a macroeconomic meltdown of the entire currency. Another set, they never seen an asset that was also technology. So if you, and the third set, they're, they're not engineers. They're like the big blind spot in crypto, in my opinion, Alex, is, is there are too many computer scientists and not enough physicists and engineers. So most of the early crypto, the first decade, all these, you know, these all the proof of stake networks and all, you know, all the DeFi and, and all these, you know, <laughs> perpetual motion machines and, 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 you know, cute gadgets people come up with. They all thought that they were improving on Satoshi's engineering. But what they didn't realize yeah. is Satoshi was the better engineer. Satoshi, Satoshi was was a full featured engineer that knew software engineering, cryptography, but also systems engineering, material engineering, you know, et cetera. And and so most of the people that I see that dominate in the rest of the crypto ecosystem, they have very weak or no backgrounds in in aeronautical engineering or systems engineering or civil engineering or ocean engineering, any or physics, any of those areas. And then they and they don't have a lot of real life experience. Right. Most of them are in their 20s and their 30s. And so they've never actually built anything and failed at anything. You know, if I if I want to fix your ego, I just put you in charge. Okay, you, you think you can do it better here, you run the thing for a year. Okay, and you would come back and go, mm -hmm. well, it's actually a lot harder than I thought it would be. Everybody doesn't just do what I tell them to do. You know, I thought I could just tell them what to do. And then they did it and everything broke or they, they all quit. And now it, it all broke. And so if you actually and by the way, the competitor turned out to be 100 times smarter than I thought they were, you know, and then they kept investing and they wouldn't stop investing and nobody takes vacations that's competing against me. So I think that when you have when you add real world experience, like do something for 30 years and then you layer on engineering, which is the it's really the the, the discipline of constructing machines that work. And then you layer on some physics and thermodynamics in the real world where there's friction and gravity and speed of light and speed of sound and the Reynolds number, right? Things that hull speeds. Things that there's a point at which no mm -hmm. amount of effort mm -hmm. will get you any further, right? The harder you push, the harder the world pushes back at you. And in computer science, they never get to that point. But in the real world, if you've ever tried to do anything in real business, or if you try to row a boat, or you try to design an airplane, there's a reason we fly below the speed of sound is because nature pushes back exponentially hard and when you when you realize that, like Adam back realized that he points out that the design parameters for Bitcoin are pretty narrow and he tried yeah. to improve on the design and he couldn't like blocks every 10 minutes, one, one, you know, the one meg meg block size, you know, all of these like would be technologists keep talking about improving it and it never occurs to them that 
you change the block size, it's like changing the speed of sound or the gravitation constant in the universe. You're playing God. And if you actually change the gravitational yeah. constant, you break everything. You know, if you if you change the speed of sound, you break everything. Every creature on Earth doesn't work right. You kill everything. And so the fact is, don't screw with it. It works fine. The problem is you, this not room. the system. And and engineers learn this, right? Because it's 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 humbling when you're an engineer. There's there's a certain there's an ideal hull shape and someone figured it out a hundred years ago and you can just tweak it plus or minus two percent, but you're not gonna get some profound it, 10x. This reminds me of the part of the conversation earlier where we talked about innovation in bits versus atoms. Is you know, Bitcoin kind of brings a, a rigor of the innovation that has happened in atoms where you actually have to contend with limitations and consequences and as you said, the world pushing back. And bringing that sort of nearing prowess into the digital realm is a whole different level of operation versus the, you know, the classic Silicon Valley just play with the computer and you know. I the other the other the other observation, Alex, about paradigm shift is is as long as people think coin is money or a financial asset then you've got a world full of people in the finance industry and they make a living going through a set of very inefficient motions that are no longer necessary or relevant. And so it's very difficult for people to think themselves out of a job, right? It's, mm. it's against human nature, right? So, so if you make a lot of money by doing something which has just been digitally transformed away, then it's not in your best interest to figure it out. And, and everybody generally has a set of natural biases. So it's, it's easier for an outsider with no vested interest, no skin in the game to walk in because they're not looking at deconstructing their life's work. That's why, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's it's an outsider like Tesla that walks into the auto industry, you know, or if you're an architect and you've you've made your name by creating masonry structures for 30 years and then steel comes along, you know, your first reaction is that's ugly. It'll be dangerous. It's probably going to kill somebody. Yeah, it's very easy to come up with a lot of reasons to dismiss it. And it's aligned with your economic interest and it's also aligned with your information set. And if it takes you a hundred hours to figure out that you can do a new type of building, and then if you're gonna to have to go through a decade of risk and uncertainty, if you enter into that business, it's pretty difficult for the incumbents. So most of the incumbents that reject this, they have a vested interest and an economic interest in not embracing it and and they'll be just fine if they don't so it's it's people on the margin that that have the need and the wherewithal to get in that they will make the difference and and that's a bit of a random process to figure out who that is and then the process has got to exponentially grow mm. it is it, it is truly a profound paradigm shift though because because even the, the people in technology, big tech, 
they don't understand money, right? So, so the idea of digital energy, that's a, that's a threatening or just a, a bizarre, wacky idea to anybody at Apple or Google or Facebook. And it's a wacky idea to somebody in finance. And it's a wacky idea to someone in the energy industry. And it's a wacky idea to someone in politics, right? And so because it's a wacky idea to everybody, dismiss right, it. the easiest thing for them to do is just dismiss the idea because their life is a lot easier if they dismiss the idea and they don't have to take any risk and they don't have to risk looking stupid. And so that, that will remain the way that you will break that cycle is you will build machines based on mm -hmm. that wacky idea that work. Like, and, and if you can build those machines and those machines are commercially successful, like, a, you know, lightning wall, lightning services, new, new types of software, you know, and or uh, you build a, a company, right? Uh, and, and as you have financial success or market success, then people will grudgingly take a second look and then they'll take a third look. And, and at some point, you know, you'll start to get the next cohort of adopters, right? You'll go from the early adopters to the, to the followers and they'll wait. And then 20 years, 30 years afterwards, people will be yeah, like, oh yeah, obvious, of course. Apparently. Yeah. I mean, you can see that with like Kodak and Instagram, right? At the end of the day, like who made all the money from digital photos? Really? <laughs> it's like not, not who anybody expected. And, and there's a lot of kicking and screaming along the way. And a lot Indeed. of reasons. Mike, there's, I could talk to you for days. There's a million other things I wanted to ask you, but we've to be respectful of your time. I want to thank you for carving out four hours, man, to talk through this stuff. Like I wanted to talk about the age of meritocracy. I want to talk about the great filter. We can do those on, on some future episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is there, is there anything final or closing that you might want to say about Bitcoin, about our discussion, about energy, about consequence, anything? <clears throat> I, what I would say is the world is going through an unprecedented financial crisis, the greatest of our lifetime. And, and the, the, so the financial world is in crisis and the political world is in the greatest turmoil I can remember in a long time. There's just a lot of turmoil, turmoil. There's a lot of sound and fury, a lot of strong passion, a lot of noise, a lot of turbulence. Bitcoin is a good thing. Everyone that's, that's listening to this podcast almost certainly believes in it, is excited about it, sees it as the future. There's a thousand things in the world that people are engaged in conversations on, but most of the world doesn't fully appreciate the potential that Bitcoin has as a technology, either as a better money or as a digital energy or as a better property or as a source of as a better ideology or, or whatever, as a catalyst for good. Most people don't recognize that. So you have finite members and finite minutes in your life left there. You know, when you meet a person, you only have a few minutes to talk with them, to convey something. Think about how you use your time and ask yourself what, what's the best good that you can bring with that time. <laughs> What's the highest form of good you can accomplish? 
I generally of the of the opinion that constructively, cheerfully, educating people, removing the you know dealing with the fear, dealing with the doubt, dealing with the uncertainty, educating them that Bitcoin is a great technology, the greatest monetary technology in the history of the world. Can can improve their lives their friends' lives, their companies' lives, the lives of their citizens in their country, their country. It can improve everything it touches if they, if they grasp and understand it. I think that, that is, that's the highest, best use of time and energy. And it's always a temptation to get drawn into other discussions and other debates. But like, I'm not telling you how to spend your personal time with your friends and family. You, you do what you want, but... But in terms of professional focus, the focus is to educate the world on how everybody can improve their lot. And when you do that, you have to do it in a language they speak. You have to use the metaphors they understand. You have to appeal to the values they have. You know, sometimes you might not even share those values. Right. But figure out what they want, how they speak, how they communicate, how they want to be communicated to. Right. And and then communicate to them as much as much insight about a perspective about Bitcoin as you can. That that's how we spread the entire network. That's how we improve the world and. Just avoid getting baited and distracted and and drawn into negativity, right? People want to, they want to poke you. You know, you see in my interviews, like they want to poke me, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You lost some money. So a hundred years from now, no one's going to care whether you made or lost money in Bitcoin mark to market in yeah. Q2 of 2022. <laughs> it's not going to matter. Big picture, right? Lots of things happening. Don't get baited. Right. If you get defensive, you know, if you get drawn into ad hominem discussions, that's a challenge. If you start to think that somebody is, uh, you know, some big organization wants, you know, is against Bitcoin, they don't care. I mean, like, like you could say, oh, yeah, they're out to get me. They're out to get me. They're out to get me. You know, if I look at all these organizations, right, they have a million other things they're worried about. They're taking sometimes the path of least resistance. This is just new technology they don't understand. People always react to new technology with, I'll, you know, I'll look at it later. Don't bother me. You know, I don't know if I need it. I'll, I'll do it this way for now. Until they have a compelling requirement, they're going to tend to be dismissive. And when someone is dismissive, you just want to be cheerful, enthusiastic, creative, figure out a creative way to, you know, tell them how it solves their problem, right? You're a salesperson, right? We're all pretty much salespeople. Salesperson shows up. What do you have? I have the best money ever in history of the world. Why do I need that? Well, okay. Here's the other point, which is hopefully when you meet them, you should, you should listen and, or you should yeah. have already done your research to figure out why they might need it. Every single meeting I have in my entire life, I always look at the company. What's the company? What's the person? What's their background? What's their ideology? You know, what, why would they benefit from what I have to offer? And then I do my best to explain the benefit to them 
you know, in the most concise format I can. And you either make the sale or you don't make the sale. If you make the sale, great. Then that's the beginning of a relationship. If you don't make the sale, thank them for their time. You know, don't, don't make them angry, right? I mean, you don't want them to say, oh, some Bitcoiner came and tried to persuade me and then called me an idiot for not getting it, right? Then they just, you know, that, there's no point that your company is not going to benefit from a salesperson that gets angry at the, at the prospect that doesn't buy on the first sales call. So I think if we think like that, you'll make a lot of friends. You won't make any enemies. You know, you'll, you'll do a lot of good. You'll learn a lot. I learn a lot more when I listen to the, to the person I'm talking with, right? What do they think? And, uh, and then we just uh, go back and polish, you know, our, our, our content, react to what we're learning. And it's, it's to your point, adaptive, right? Adaptive and, and try to avoid, try to avoid creating unnecessary difficulty for yourself because there are certain people and they manage to get in a fight with everybody about everything all the time. I'm close to one of those. <laughs> it's like your life is too short. Your life is, it's going to pass you by, right? So if I'm keeping a scorecard, right? The scorecard is, you know, who did you convince that they should join the network? And the way you join the network is you convert your money from a different asset into Bitcoin. That's the joining of the network, right? And the, and the, and the, the more energy you attract in the network, then, then the faster the world's going to get better. So ultimately, that's, that's the ultimate utility function. Mike, appreciate you capping it off and wise words, something I need to think about because I guess I'm one of those people who's still quite hot-blooded and very prone to be baited, to use your terminology. But yeah, th this, has been, this has been a great discussion. So yeah, once again, really appreciate you taking the time and I hope we can do this again to kind of go into some of the, the other things. I, I, I really think this idea of trying to imagine what Bitcoin means for civilization long-term which is why like I, I wrote that great filter piece trying to think of like you know this notion of a timeline of before bitcoin and after bitcoin being like a a real way that will measure civilization in in the future like i i don't know if there has been something as important as this but yeah i'd, I'd love to dig down that rabbit hole at some stage in the future and thank you for all the work you're doing everything that you're doing at microstrategy and yeah, just put, putting so much time into helping people understand what the hell this thing is. Thank you, man. My Absolutely. pleasure. It's Thank great you, to spend time with you. Keep up the Absolutely. good work. Take and care, I'll man. talk to you soon.